Hi, David. The good news since we last spoke is that COVID cases in the UK are falling. What are the broader implications? Hi, Alex. You're right. After peaking close to a weekly average of 50,000 daily cases in mid-July, new cases of COVID in the UK have fallen to below 30,000 a day. There had been feared that the peak in infections could have reached 100,000. I mean, the number of COVID tests has dropped, but it doesn't account for the rate of decline that we've seen. Uh, The positive test rate has also fallen, and that's consistent with a lower infection uh, rate. Uh, The numbers being admitted to UK hospitals are still rising, albeit at a slowing rate. And, And we should see that dip down over the next week or so, providing you know, further confirmation that the current wave of infections um, has, you know, peaked. It's, it's actually not fully understood why the latest COVID wave um, has peaked much lower than predicted. Certainly, you know, it's been helped by uh, schools closing for their summer breaks. Um, we had the end of the Euro football championship that was actually associated with some uh, meaningful spikes in cases amongst young men, especially. Um, and of course, there's been a you know a large number of people who have been self-isolating after receiving notification of contact with someone who tested uh, positive. So the, the the so-called pandemic, and that that's actually hindered the reopening of parts of the economy, despite the lifting of nearly all social distancing uh, restrictions. But I think the UK experience with the Delta wave has shown again that vaccines are effective in limiting infection and most importantly in preventing severe illness and death. So the hospitalisation rate is around three times lower than during the last wave in January and the uh, mortality rate around 10 times lower. And you know, we can contrast that with you know, South Africa, uh, which has a much lower rate of vaccinations in the UK and has sadly suffered um, a, a similar rise in severe illness and deaths as in previous waves of um, COVID infections, though you know cases have thankfully started to fall um, in South Africa. So the UK experiment, you know, what was described as a sort of gamble taken by the government in London of proceeding with lifting social distancing restrictions despite rising infections, and you know, trusting that widespread vaccination, especially of older adults, would prevent health services being overwhelmed and a, and a, and a surge in COVID-related deaths appears to have paid off. And in that sense, I think the UK has demonstrated that it is possible to live with COVID so long as vaccination rates are high, even in the face of the highly infectious uh, Delta variant. And I think sets a sort of path forward for other countries to um, follow. And, you know, if we look across Europe, we, we look to the US, you know, they are experiencing a rise in infections as the Delta variant takes hold. But both have relatively high um, vaccination rates that that, to be fair, is quite uneven across um, the US. But but nonetheless, I think it does suggest that hospital capacity will not be overwhelmed, um, that the spike in infections will actually be relatively short lived. I think will only modestly dampen growth momentum both in the US and in Europe. But I think the market ultimately is going to see through it, despite uh, what are going to be a lot of, I think, quite negative headlines. But yeah, I think it's important to say that we're very, very far from declaring victory over COVID. 
only around 14% of the world's population has been fully vaccinated. Less than 30% have uh, received a single jab. And, and really, until the world is vaccinated, there will be you know, recurring waves of COVID infections and you know, risks arising from uh, new variants. So the vaccines do allow us to adjust and live with the presence of COVID, but you know, that's in countries that have access to and the capacity to distribute vaccines. And, you know, COVID's not going away, unfortunately, anytime soon. Why have Chinese financial markets been so volatile recently? Chinese equities have actually been selling off for some time. They're, they're, they're down around about 25% since their peak in February. But you're right, Alex, that market volatility has, you know, also picked up in uh, recent days. Um yeah, firstly, I mean, China was the first in and, and therefore the first out of the COVID economic downturn. And, and as growth has slowed, you know, equities have struggled. But the, but the catalyst for the recent volatility in Chinese assets is, you know, an intensification of the regulatory sort of, you know, squeeze, um, the latest being uh, with respect to uh, private tutoring. Um, and, and there's also been this, you know, ongoing deleveraging and uh, liquidity uh, squeeze in the real estate sector, something that we've, we've discussed uh, in previous podcasts. I think the latest raft of regulations out of Beijing, I think reflects their concerns that rising housing and education costs are you know worsening social inequality, and and I also think that it's part of a desire to sort of crack down on the power of um, big, big tech, and 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 I think this shift is unlikely to be reversed, despite some you know more calming rhetoric from 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 authorities in recent days. Um, we've seen very little spillover into um, global markets, really. I mean, you know. Certainly, if we compare it to the kind of contagion that we saw in late 2015, when the Chinese currency was declining in value, capital was flowing out of China, the economy was entering a downturn. Those factors are not in play. Uh, Recent economic data out of China is consistent with a moderation in growth rather than the start of a sustained and uh, meaningful slowdown. So I I think the global macro implications are limited. But you know, US-China relations continue to be antagonistic. Um, you know, there clearly is greater regulatory uncertainty. And I, and I think international investors are likely to, you know, want a, a sort of greater risk premium for investing in uh, riskier Chinese assets. You know, that said, I think, you know, Chinese government bonds, which are yielding, you know, almost 3%, will continue to attract investors. Turning to Washington, what's your takeaways from the latest meeting of the Federal Reserve? Well, as expected, I mean, the meeting of the Fed's Monetary Policy Committee, the FOMC, uh, didn't really contain much news. Um, I thought Chair Powell's press conference was, was actually rather tame. Um, futures markets are pricing the first rate hike in December 2022 or, or you know early 23, and that's pretty much unchanged from before the uh, latest FOMC meeting. Um, yeah, Powell did say that the FOMC had taken its first deep dive into how to go about tapering its $120 billion per month bond buying program, but he gave very, very little away in terms of timing. 
Um, the press statement did acknowledge some progress towards its inflation and maximum employment goals, but Powell also said in the press conference that the labour market recovery is still some ways away from warranting a tapering of QE on inflation. You know, Powell kept to the line that the recent rise in inflation well above the Fed's 2% target is temporary, reflects reopening effects, supply bottlenecks. And he also actually played down concerns about the economic impact of the rise in US COVID infections, saying that business and consumers had learned to live with the virus. Um, I, I actually think the Fed wants to see at least, you know, two, three months uh, or more of strong payroll gains before it formally announces uh, tapering. So I think it makes sort of November or December meetings the most likely uh, for a formal announcement, but we could get a kind of advance warning um, at the meeting of the Fed in September. The next set piece for markets to focus on will be the end of August with Chair Powell's speech at the Jackson Hole Symposium in, in Kansas. Just for completeness, I mean, the Fed also announced a new standing repo facility whereby it will accept up to $500 billion of treasury and mortgage-backed securities as collateral for overnight liquidity at a minimum interest rate of a quarter of 1%. This is really a plumbing change, but will allow the Fed to backstop money markets more you know, flexibly during periods of, of stress. I, th- I think actually arguably of more significance than the latest Fed meeting was the uh, latest news that a bipartisan deal on $550 billion of additional infrastructure spending was, was reached. Um, and that's actually been voted through the Senate to for it to go to the floor and then be formally um, considered and voted on over the next uh, week or so. And, and I think the Democrats are still going to be pushing a much bigger $3.5 trillion package um, that I think they're going to try to force through on a simple uh, majority. I, I don't think they're going to get that approved. It's more likely to be about half that amount. But along with the additional infrastructure spending, you know, that suggests, you know, three to $500 billion of additional fiscal stimulus in, in 2022. So that's equivalent to around 2% of GDP. So, you know, we are seeing some action in or movement in Washington towards uh, providing additional fiscal support for uh, the recovery going into 2022. Thanks for your time today, David, and speak with you soon. Thanks very much, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.